Hello and welcome to another episode of Shattered Lives, the Irish Daily Star's crime podcast. I'm crime correspondent Michael O'Toole. Welcome to the show. The last 18 months have seen a number of really bizarre stories and we've covered them here on the the pod. There was obviously Paul's story about the GSOC investigator going to the party with Jerry the Monk Hutch just hours after Mr Hutch was acquitted of the murder of David Byrne. Then there was another story which I did about a Garda being investigated for allegedly paying a criminal €300 to attack the home of another member of the force. And we can't obviously forget the saga of whether Gardy would be going to Disneyland Paris this summer, not for not for a jolly, but to work. And um, that seems to be been sorted out. So there, are, as I say, there were a number of bizarre stories, but the issue of today's podcast really is right up there. So without further ado, I want to say hello to Paul Healy, our chief reporter, who is going to fill us in on the remarkable and bizarre story of Patter Doyle, deceased, and Carlo Post Office. Hello, Paul. Hello, Mick. Do you think bizarre is the word to describe this story that we're about to talk about? It just about describes it. I mean, I, th- I think this is the most bizarre story that I've covered in my career so far. And I, w- I mean, you're a long time in the game as well. I don't think even you have seen anything quite like this. I honestly, I, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if somebody tries to make a, a, a drama, a TV drama or a Netflix drama. I just think it has all the ingredients. Well, it's yeah, it's been done already. It's a, a movie called Weekend at Bernie's, apparently. But uh, yeah, look, I don't want. I just want to say off the bat uh, that it, it might appear that we might maybe be making light of this at times. Um, I I want to just state it's very important that the look a person did die here. Um, Patter Doyle, uh, sixty six years old. Um, and it was loved by his family. And I'll mention the victim impact statement of his sister Nolene. Uh, a little bit later on um it, it is a very sad story in one sense um i think we would be dishonest if we didn't say that uh, there was some level of uh, i suppose humor in the overall uh story itself just given the total bizarre nature of it you can't help but kind of go what the hell um it is real life it's important to point out that it is real life and a crime was committed here and and by by some really awful people who have now been put away for it. So while it might appear that we're making light of it, that is because of just the pure bizarre nature of it. It's very hard not to at times. But um, of course, look, somebody did die here and a crime was committed and, and we're not um, making light of that fact. Just want to say that off the bat. OK, so let's go back. Uh, my recollection is this story essentially broke in January 2022. So just about 18 months ago. Yeah, so 21st of January last year, it was a Friday. So you know yourself, Mick, when you're covering uh, stories on a Friday, you're kind of like everybody, you're you're clocking off for the day. So I think that this story kind of broke late in the evening um, in another publication. I think first the Irish Times broke the story that a man had been brought into Hosey's post office there on the Staplestown Road in Carlow. Uh, and that he was deceased and that two gentlemen had come in with him, holding him and had attempted to take his pension, uh, €246 weekly pension. So, look, it's very important to say that, like, you don't get all the facts straight off the bat um, and and a lot of rumours spread on social media in particular and you're trying to decipher what the exact story here is. So it really wasn't until, I'd say, about the Sunday um, when Pat O'Connell, Sunday World, had kind of the full facts and spoke to the two men who were alleged to have brought Pat Doyle 
the elderly pensioner into the post office deceased and trying to take his pension and those two men are Declan Hockney and Gareth Coakley and Declan Hockney is Pat Doyle's nephew and when Pat actually spoke to them it were quite harrowing horrific pictures because Declan Hockney had actually just been assaulted I think minutes prior to actually being doorstep by Pat uh, so Gareth Coakley he, he spoke to him at length and they gave their first version of events so to speak they they didn't know he was dead, etc. Obviously, huge story, so huge interest in it. Uh, I was working that Sunday, and I said we get got to get ourselves down to Carlow and see what we can get. And I think this is the best way to kind of start the story in, in just recalling, I suppose, how how we covered it. Uh, we went down there, we went down to the house. So the house is on Pollerton Road. It's one hundred and ninety nine Pollerton Road. And just to give you some context of the ge- geography of the area. It's kind of a, a main street there in Carlow and the house is on a corner and literally just a stone's throw from that house is a bridge. You go through an area there called Bridge Street, I believe it's called. Uh, and you're no sooner under the bridge, you can see the post office. The post office is, is a stone's throw away really from the actual house. I'd say maybe you could walk it in five minutes um, there, thereabouts. So and is that is that the main post office in Carlo? It, it yeah, it seems to be. To, it, yes, I mean that Hosey's post office. It, this is something I, I, that 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 I, I wondered when the jury was being sworn in in this trial. Ultimately, actually, we were just thinking about the fact that Hosey's post office. Uh, it, I mean, everybody has been in and out of Hosey's post office if they're from Carlo. So we wondered how could anybody be completely impartial in this case or wouldn't have some knowledge of it. I mean, obviously the whole country knew about it, but particularly when you're local as well. I mean, that was the local post office. But ah, but that reminds me of what, uh, and I've said this before in the pod, I'll say it again, Mr. Justice Paul Carney, deceased, very, very great judge, who was a Central Criminal Court judge, spoke about the robustness of the Irish jury. So in other words, he trusts, the, ju- the judiciary trusts the people to examine the evidence on its own merits. And this obviously is a classic example of that. Yes, now it didn't go that far in the end, which we'll explain in a minute. But uh, yeah, it very nearly did uh, become a full-on trial. But yeah, just as I said, given the the geography of the area. So we went down and at this stage, I kind of felt that we probably would be just kind of picking up the pieces. In fairness to Pat, he had spoken to the two lads um, and uh, it it was an opportunistic doorstep, I think, you know, and and I, I wondered whether such a thing would be possible again. Obviously, I was hoping for that, but we're there on the Politan Road at the house. The house is completely boarded up. The house had been declared a crime scene. Uh, so it was curious to me when we saw uh, Declan Hockley walking down the street. Uh, actually, uh, our photographer, Mick O'Neill, was w- was not quite there yet. I was there about five minutes before him when Declan Hockney walked down the street. So I didn't really want to approach Mr. Hockney without having a photographer present. And I didn't know what state of mind he was in or what 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 exactly would happen. Generally, you don't want to be on your own on a job like that. So I kind of just observed him going into the house, which was a complete shock to me because I was like, how is he getting into the house? Well, and A, he's a suspect to B, it's supposed to be a crime scene. So I think at this stage, it had emerged that they, I think it was no longer a crime scene. But I don't think that Declan Hockney should have been able to get into the house. Yes, he did. So he went into the house and then when he came back out, I did approach him because I felt it might be my only opportunity to do so. Initially brushed me off and then I said, look, this is your opportunity to tell your side of the story, uh, explain what's going on, because everybody thinks that you brought, deliberately brought your dead uncle into the post office and tried 
claim his pension. So just just two things very, very quickly. This was Mr. Doyle's house. Yes. So this was the home of Padder Doyle and he lived there with Declan Hockney. Um, they, they, they were sharing the house together. So he did live with his uncle um, uh, in, in that house. Um, so I approached him and uh, as I said, he, he initially reluctant, but he did ultimately speak to me and told his version of events. Now, it was a lengthy interview. Uh, it was on a street. So the audio is is a little bit difficult to hear, but I, I picked out a particular clip, which we're going to play now in a second. And I just want to give some context to it. It's in this clip, Declan is describing the moment that he made the decision to bring his uncle out of the house and down to the post office with Gareth Coakley. The context of this is that that and uh, we only learned the full facts afterwards that Declan initially went down to the post office on his own to try and collect his uncle's pension and the teller said you can't collect it you know it has to be collected by him and so he went back to the house this is all about 11 o'clock in the morning went back to the house and brought his uncle who he said was very poorly and very ill at the time and so he was reluctant to bring him down he says in this clip which you'll hear that it that his uncle was under the bed covered in a sheet under the bed on the floor uh, and that he uh, effectively with the help of Gareth Coakley dragged him out of the house and brought him down the street and this is just a truly bizarre moment which I think will always stick with me you won't obviously I said this is why I want to describe it you won't hear it in the clip but you'll he says in the clip um, I reckon he died there and he, what, what happened in that moment is that he pointed to the bridge, which you can see from the house. He pointed to the bridge. And it, 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 I think in my mind, he was saying, in hindsight, or that's the way he was trying to present it. In hindsight, I reckon he died there. So he died on the journey. Yes. And he, he says in the clip, he went all slumpy and we carried him arm in arm. And his, he said his heels were dragging on the ground and he was all slumpy and we dragged him into the post office. So he reckons in hindsight he probably died there, but he continued with Garrett Coakley to bring him into the post office and to try and claim his pension. Um, as he says, innocently enough, <laughs> make of you what you will of that. I think the clip is interesting because you can hear Declan Hockley uh, giving his version of events and the way that he portrayed it is that he very his uncle uh, was unwell and that he very reluctantly brought him to the post office. And, and as you'll uh, we'll later explain, he effectively tried to blame the post office staff for bringing his poorly uncle there and for for him ultimately dying, um, which, you know, the, the post office staff are not to blame here, let's be clear. Um, but he, he dragged him down, nonetheless, uh, to this shop and tried to collect his pension. So I want to play the clip here just because this is the first time I think anybody will actually hear Declan Hockney's voice. So you'll get a flavour for uh, maybe what he was saying at the time this is, as I said, two days after the incident. So we'll just play that clip now. Can I just mention one other thing very, very quickly? I was going to mention that you mentioned about it, the house being sealed off as a crime scene. So, so that only came in, I think, in the, the Garda Sheikhana Act of 2005. So that a guard, the Garda superintendent, the local district officer, can, by law, uh, seal off a crime scene for 24 hours. After that, they has to go to the... Go to, he or she has to go to court to get it extended. One of the interesting factors about this, just to go off on a tangent... One of the one of the factors leading to that law or to that thing about a crime scene was the Joe Riley case, Rachel Callaly case, because uh, he was obviously he after he murdered Rachel, he left the scene and came back and 
rather callously got Rachel's mother to, to find the body. But he had his car with him and the guards couldn't impound that car. So he was able to drive off and the guards have always believed that he had the murder weapon, which guards believe was a dumbbell, in the boot and he's able to drive away. So now guards can impound property and they can impound cars and they can impound anything in the scene. So it was the Joe Riley case was one of the factors for that being official about it being uh, a crime scene for 24 hours. Very, very interesting. But anyway, let's hear this. Let's hear this recording. The last three days, eh, last one and a half days, went up uh, and, you know, beside the locker, yes. he was on the ground, on the locker with the blanket over him, right? Uh, no, on the ground, sorry, on the ground, okay. off the bed. Okay. And I was like, what are you doing there? And grand and grand and grand. When the floor was there, he was under the bed, right? Three days, two, two, two and a half days, I tried to coax him, you want to get him under the bed? Mm. Right? And no, he wouldn't, right? So, Monday morning, we got up to him, said, Patter, I don't care, he says, I'm getting out and that's not all right. And he says, ah, they start giving out to me and all that. He goes, will you get a drink of water to me, mate? He says, me, mate, got me a drink of water, right? So he goes, have you got a roll? I said, I haven't got a roll. He goes, there's my card. Will you go down and get me down and take me money? I said, I will, yeah. Went down to the girls, the girls wouldn't give it to you. Went back up looking all this. I said, Patty, you're going to have to come down with me, yeah? Okay. So we linked him from here to there, yeah? But what happened was, he was walking like, you know, like normal. And I reckon he died, he just ordered him to die, right? We start dragging his, his heels from, from around. See where that yellow sign is there? Yes. Oh, like, they're not even thinking like nothing because Patter Sorry, was... Sorry, can you explain to me? You were holding him or what you were no, walking? No, like, we were just like linking him, linking him. Like, okay. Linking, linking, right. not linking him, like linking him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Linking him. And yeah. he was walking around, yeah? Yeah. Then all of a sudden, like, it just started, uh, he started going all slumpy and all, yeah? She was yeah. kind of lovely because Patter looked, he, he had heart attacks and all, yeah? Yeah. Then we got, got in as far as the queue. I went, like, we were holding we were holding him. Then, like, got to the queue. Let, let him go and he just dropped. He just dropped there and then. And now, right, people are saying that uh, I was trying to, like, why would I, right, try to rob my uncle's money when I'm living in the house with him and we're sharing the bills, right? Why would I want to rob my uncle, right? With my friend. I'm, I'm 40 years of age, yeah? I'm not a child, I'm not a young fella, yeah? I'm not an idiot, like, to, to walk into a, a horse with a dead man, with a dead man and, 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 take, and take his money. And my cuckoo, and my cuckoo, and not. And this claim that she's allegedly ran, is that true? What? That she's allegedly ran from the post office. No! Right. No, I, I ran to ring my sister. Right. I went up to the house to ring my sister and ran, and ran right. straight back down. Right, right. Was, that, that, that's bullshit, well, see, that is. That's why, it's, that's why it's important to ask you your perspective, because people just think you're that's on That's bullshit. Up, no, I didn't. Know? I ran up home to ring, me, to ring my family. No, sorry. I ran home. I ran up home to ring Lucy across the road, Lucy Kelly. A neighbour, yeah? Okay. To ring me, Auntie Nolan, to say, Patter's after dying, that's why you ran. Okay. And then it ran straight back down. Okay. Right. Ran, then it went straight back down and stayed there then for a, about two, three hours, then it wouldn't let us in right. anymore, and that was it. Right. And so, are you afraid now that you're going to be... Well, look... Potentially... Uh, well, what happened there? A fellow called me a murderer, yeah? Right. And I said, I like it, that, uh, I fell out from around the town, yeah? That's the clip. Uh, it's as I said, it's not a perfect piece of audio, but it is an opportunity for people to hear uh, exactly what he was saying to us in that moment in time. It was a lengthier interview, and I, I'll I'll speak a bit more about it in a minute. But uh, that gives you an idea. I mean, he, saying things like he went all slumpy and uh, they continued to drag him. Um, I mean, I was just in total shock listening to that. What goes through your mind? What does go through your mind? Because I find. I think we've spoken about this before. There are two elements to when you're carrying out an interview. You're either making sure that they're like the phone's recording or you're writing down notes and you're listening and going, geez, that's a great story or that, that's a great line. But we're also humans. So when he was saying that, were you focusing 
was there a bit of you going, this fella's off his rocker? Or were you just focusing on the story? I was in total shock by it. I think I was just flabbergasted because, I mean, you've, as I said, this is the most bizarre story I've ever covered. You've got a man telling you uh, that he's dragging his his uh, uncle, a very poorly uncle, who he, he now, uh, two days later, admits he was probably dead before he even got to the post office trying to claim his pension. I, I mean, it was just... Uh, it was laugh out loud funny, but it was also really, really disturbing at the same time. It's just you're, it's, it's a bizarre thing to to comprehend. Yeah, I did think this is an extraordinary story and it's going to be something else for people to hear it. Uh, and, and that's why I want people to actually hear how he said it, um, because he'd already began this narrative, um, the kind of poor me narrative. Um, and, you know, uh, the, some of the facts that came out in the court case this week. Uh, really bore out the truth of this, which is that like he just shifted the blame. I mean, he was pointing the finger. You see on the CCTV footage, which I'll speak about in a second, uh, pointing the finger at the at the post office staff and saying, "This is your fault. You're after killing my uncle." You know, where in actual fact he knew in hindsight, uh, yeah, or or knew even at the time that he was dead, uh, bringing him into the post office. Now, what's interesting about this is, and 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 this is why we're speaking about the. The, the place being sealed off as a crime scene. The guards had to explore every possible aspect of this, uh, even even the potential of 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 how uh, Patter Doyle died. Patter Doyle did die of uh, natural causes. There was no foul play ultimately, um, uh, and the case, the state's case, had nothing to do with when uh, exactly or where uh, Patter Doyle died. The case, uh, the the. The facts certainly bore out that it was probable that he could have been dead before he entered the post office. And certainly eyewitness testimony uh, and the CCTV, he looks dead as a doornail, I'll be honest with you. But the the the, the charge that they were ultimately uh, accused of, it, it didn't really matter too much other than, I suppose, maybe it was an ad, the whole the overall thing was an aggravating factor. Um, but where exactly he died was not ultimately the state's case other than it it was uh the facts bore out that he died that morning at some point that morning um so look is it prop is it possible that declan hockney didn't know his uncle was dead or that he died on the journey yes it is possible uh but it's still i mean whether he's dead or not that man was clearly very very ill not capable of standing and you're dragging him there to try and steal uh, his, take his uh, his pension. You hear in that clip, oh, why would I try to take money off my uncle uh, who I'm living with? Look, uh, it was believed that they were trying to take that money for drugs. They're two men who have serious, serious addiction problems. Declan Hockney, uh, the court heard last week, for 15, 16 years, he's been a heroin addict. And Gareth Coakley uh, was on any drug he could take, uh, any drug he could find. And it now admits that he was not in his right mind during this whole incident so the two of them had serious issues and i i think at that stage in their life they would have done anything to get any sum of money for drugs so the guards did begin an investigation and later coakley and hockney were charged that was that at the was that a few days after the the, the incident was it yeah i mean that same month they uh Declan hockney first and then later guard coakley uh, appeared before the district court so Let's just kind of explain this a little bit. Uh, this initially went before a district court and was going to be dealt with summarily. You might explain just how that, that, that process works. Yeah, so there's 
there are two levels in our in Irish judiciary. There's the criminal process. There's an issue being dealt with summarily, and then there's an issue being dealt with on indictment. So summarily is what you and I call a district court. So it's the most basic court. Usually, its strongest sentencing power is twelve months in prison, and that and a fine. I think it's nineteen hundred euro. Fine. So quite quite modest in relation to the whole scheme of things. So what can happen is the deep the director of public prosecutions will will occasionally say that they consent to the case being dealt with summarily if there is a plea. So in other words, if these two fellows had copped the plea at district court level, the DPP would have would have accepted that. But my understanding is that they may, obviously it did go to the the circuit court, which is an indictment, and that brings its higher stakes and it has a higher penalty. So it's in front of a judge and jury. And whereas in the district court, the maximum sentence is a, is a year for deception uh, and on other, most other offences. In the circuit court on indictment, the maximum is five years. So that's what these two were facing. Now, there are some cases at the circuit on indictment which can be higher, but usually, like, for example, if you're charged with assault causing harm at district court, it's 12 months. At the assault causing harm at the circuit court level on indictment is five years. So five years is quite a common penalty for the circuit court level. So the, high, the stakes are higher. So obviously in this case, both men, neither men consented to pleading guilty at the district court level on on a summarily basis. So it went to the circuit court and that's five years in prison. Yeah, I, I just want to kind of explain, you've explained that very well, but even from the guard's point of view, I think there was confusion at first as to, you know, what exact uh, offence had been committed here. Um, because they actually were not successful in, uh, and that's thanks to the due diligence, obviously, of the post office staff. They were not successful in committing the offence of theft or of deception because the staff were not deceived. They they knew something was clearly very wrong um, and uh, the guards were called, an ambulance was called. So what what crime exactly was committed? And ultimately, when Padder Doyle died of natural causes and, and uh, the, there was no... Um, offence in relation to his death, it was very tricky for the guards, but ultimately they were charged with a, a, a um, attempted deception charge and attempted theft, which, I, you know, I, I must admit, I've never heard of a, a attempted crime before in that context because they were unsuccessful in actually carrying out said crime. So I think when it was being dealt with at district court level, I think these lads could have been, um, I think they got off really lucky. I think if they had pleaded guilty at that point, uh, that, I mean, would they have got jail time? As you said, maybe up to a year. Would they have got any jail time? Probably not. I, I, you'd probably looking at maybe six months, but there, were, it, there was a very strong chance it would have been suspended. Yeah. So, so I'm just looking at the, the legislation here. So it is obtaining services by the, the deception, but it says a person who dishonestly, with the intention of making a gain. So I think that's where the attempt comes in. So, you know, it's the intention, whether or not, you do it. It's the act of trying to do it. And I think that's what got them done with that deception and attempted deception. Absolutely. And, and, and look, we're talking about something that happened here in January. It's only there last Friday. So July 2023, that this, the, the, that these, uh, last Wednesday, actually, that these two men finally admitted their guilt in this crime. I don't know what happened. Well, we went, we were going all the way to trial with this. Uh, a jury was impaneled last Wednesday. And this was going to be six or seven days. There were 32 witnesses. So that's post office staff. That's people who witnessed Patter Doyle being dragged in the street. Um, people who called 999, the guards, the CCTV footage. There was going to be so much evidence heard. Uh, and, and look, to take it all the way to that stage where a jury was sworn in and it was day one of the trial. And then all of a sudden, for whatever reason, 
the two men changed their pleas and pleaded guilty to attempted deception. So the attempted theft charge was then taken into consideration, which, which means they weren't going to be punished for that particular crime, and they were pleading guilty to the one charge of attempted deception. But, so let me ask you this. Was there an opening? Did the state prosecutor, you know, at the start of the trial, they would, the jury's impaneled, and, they, and then they would have the opening where the, the prosecutor makes, this is what we say happened. So it didn't get to that stage? We didn't even get to that stage. The jury were brought out, and they were told... Uh, there will be a rearrangement in this matter and the rearrangement happened. The two lads pleaded guilty and that's it. The jury was dismissed. And then we came back on Friday for the sentencing hearing. And that's the first time that we heard the full facts from the state with the uh, prosecuting, sorry, with the prosecuting counsel speaking to the Garda. I just want to ask you, and it always really fascinates me when people say they're not guilty and they deny their guilt for 18 months, whatever. And then they, they're, they're rearranged and they plead guilty. What was their demeanour? Were they, were they defiant? Were they embarrassed? Were they ashamed? Were they looking down at their shoes? Because a lot of people have different reactions when they admit the guilt, not only to the state and the people, but to themselves. Yeah, I thought that Declan Hockley mumbled it. I mean, I actually wasn't fully sure whether he said guilty, but then I thought, well, what else would he be saying? Because why would you rearrange him to say guilty again? Or sorry, not guilty again. Uh, he just kind of almost whispered it and kept his head down. And um, Coakley uh, kind of shouted guilty. Uh, he's kind of seemed a bit fed up. He was agitated kind of the whole way through the process. Um, I recall that uh, on uh, earlier that morning, uh, he was complaining. This was in light of media coverage. There was a, a brief complaint about the way that the media had covered uh, the hearing that morning. And Coakley kind of kicked up and said, it's not fair. It's not fair. This isn't fair. Uh, that's when they went off into a, a room, a consultation room. And when they came back, uh, they had changed their pleas. I don't know whether that had anything to do with it, but but that, that those he, he was agitated the whole morning uh, and seemed like he wanted to get it over with, to be honest. Now, there, were, there, was, there was a lot of media at it. It's important to stress you were covering it, but the complaint wasn't about your coverage. It was about some, something else. Well, the complaint was actually, you know, when we looked this up, to be fair to, to my colleagues, I don't think anybody misreported this. I think there was there were there was earlier coverage online prior to the trial starting uh, about one of the lads, uh, Declan Hockley, being in custody and that that was potentially prejudicial that the, the jury might know that he was in custody. Uh, Declan Hockney was in custody the whole way through this for a year uh on remand and and subsequently we learned he was actually serving out a couple of months sentence for theft as well um and what's interesting about that is we then learned that whilst uh, committing this offense bringing his dead uncle down to Hosey's post office he was actually on bail uh, as was Coakley for other offenses uh so this wasn't their first uh this wasn't their first offense even that month uh, let alone week that has brought back i'm not going to say bad well Terrible memories for me from the Graham Dwyer trial, the first day of the Graham Dwyer trial. So I'd been covering Dwyer ever since he was arrested. And we had, there had been several attempts for bail and it was reported that he was refused bail. And I said on the, I did a prelim Sunday for Monday, trial about to start and said he's in custody. Now, the, the Irish Times did as well, right? And it just goes to show you every day is a school day. And that was raised. Now, nothing happened. You know, we didn't. Pre- prejudice anything or anything but we, we did get a letter it's it's it, that's what you know it's one of those things it's nerve-wracking and you, you know i'd like to think that i yeah I, i'd like to think i know my way around 
court reporting and you know have done it but even that small thing now as I say I think another organisation as well as the Irish Times did it and we all got letters but it just goes to show you it is it can be a minefield you think you're, you're on top of it and then because you know Dwyer had been in custody the whole time I thought ah everybody knows that and it's that whole thing about you're not allowed to show yeah uh, you know prisoners beside prison officers for example you're not allowed to show uh, handcuffs because the jury will see that he's in custody so minefield absolute minefield but anyway everybody escaped unscathed it's very hard to cover these things when they're live trials I mean we were lucky with the Hutch trial that was special criminal court we couldn't influence so we could talk about it openly that's why we're only talking about this now because it's been dealt with Uh, we had to be so careful but look they pled guilty and um, we got to hear the full facts and we got to see the CCTV footage now I want to speak about the CCTV footage because uh how best to describe this? It's exactly how you would picture it in your mind. I mean, sometimes you kind of hear about events and they're like, ah, oh, it's not as sensational as that in reality, or it's, the, you know, that's been hyped up. Or listen, the CCTV footage is extraordinary and it's disgusting, frankly, because when you watch it, at least to me, to my eyes, look, my first thought was that man is clearly dead. And if he's not dead, he's passed out or he's very, very, he's on the way. Uh, like uh, to anyone who saw that in the street, I can't imagine what it was like. It must have been some sight. Um, and and I want to mention the 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 one woman who really is the hero in this story. Um, and and obviously we didn't know the full story until the facts were brought out last Friday. But it's a lady named Claire Knight, uh, who was driving down the road when she saw Declan Hockney and uh, Garrett Coakley, uh dragging uh, Patter Doyle on the street and she could see straight away she knew something wasn't right this you will you can see in the footage uh, Patter Doyle's legs are are just like they're literally heels are just dragging on the on the ground and I mean they're quite literally dragging him down the road I mean there's no movement from Patter Doyle at all on the CCTV footage on the street so she saw them uh, they sat up on a wall with uh, Patter Doyle for about a minute and she pulled down the window and she said, is he all right, lads? And Declan Hockney said to her, he's grand, he's fine. And Gareth Coakley said, we've called an ambulance for him. Now, it turns out no ambulance was called. That was a complete lie. Uh, earlier that morning, uh, when Declan Hockney went into the post office and went up to the teller trying to claim the pension on his own, uh, he, he claimed that his uncle was unwell at home and he couldn't come and collect the pension himself. And he claimed at that point, also, that an ambulance had been called. Again, the guards established no ambulance was ever called for Padre Doyle. So two lies told there. Um, so listen, uh, this 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 lady, Claire Knight, I think she is a hero. She knew something wasn't right. She didn't believe, take them at, at their word. She followed them to the post office. And uh, whilst following them in, she rang 999 herself and called for an ambulance and for the guardie. So this is the first point in time just uh, before a quarter past 11 that morning that the guards were alerted that, that something was was very wrong and you can see in the footage immediately the concern of everybody that's in that queue everyone that's in that that post office they're all moving out of the way they're all look completely shell-shocked by what they're seeing um, and you can see another lady has also uh, got onto the phone to the guards before they've even made it to the desk they push their way past all of the queue they skip, skip the queue and and placed him up against the counter and uh, Declan Hockney said he's here now to collect his pension. Um, it was then that he dropped him to the ground and you can see Patter Doyle um, 
slumped against the side of a door, not moving, and then they move him into a position, lying him down on the ground. Um, and then uh, Declan Hockney is, it becomes incredibly aggressive, pointing the finger um, at the teller and saying, you killed him, uh, you made me bring him here, and you, you've killed him. Um, uh, you know, threatening and, and abusive behaviour. He was asked to leave. He, he, didn't, he didn't leave. Um, and at this point then, uh, Miss Knight, the, the same lady who, who rang 999, performed CPR on Patter Doyle, and she did her best to try and save his life. But her own evidence that was said in court, uh, she believed he was dead on entry. Like, I mean, she, she said that when she saw him being dragged in the street, she believed he was dead. Uh, he was grey in colour. And she said that his eyes were fixed. So even when he was on the street, she believed that he was dead. You mentioned that his feet were being dragged. Um, obviously, when he's dead, he has no control over his head functions. Was his head lolling? Could you say that much? Yes. Oh, I, I, it's, oh, it's crystal clear on the footage. I mean, his head is dangling and he's got a hat on. They had his face covered as best they could and they had a hat right over his eyes. So... I think to conceal like how bad he was, he's clearly grey coloured in the face, uh, skin and bone, and is just dangling really. And they both un- are carrying him under their arms, literally dragging him right up to the counter. I mean, uh, unbelievable stuff, um, horrific stuff, really. And and you know that's a very good point, Paul. Look, obviously, there people will find elements of this. People will laugh at elements of this. But you're right, and you said it at the start. It's about a human being, and. The way they treated that human being in death is is completely outrageous. Yeah, and particularly when it's your own uncle as well, as someone you live with, you know. And and I mean, Declan Hockney swore to me that he loved his uncle and 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 that he cared for him. And uh, you know, why would I ever w- want to rob my uncle? I think he was at a very bad point in his life. To be fair, he was a heroin addict, and he was they were both drinking, and they had serious serious problems. But even still, is that any excuse to to do what they did? I don't know. I just, I'm just going to raise one other thing very quickly, Paul, just so people can, we can contextualise it. You talked about the facts of the case being stated. So I wasn't there, but I would, I would guess what happened was there was a senior, there was a senior guard investigator took to the stand, was it? And he was led through the evidence by a state barrister. Yes, Detective Garda Joe O'Keefe uh, was called to the stand and he was uh, led through the evidence. And uh, he, he told how he got the, the first uh, phone call that a man had possibly had a heart attack was the first thing that he was told. Uh, he was on his way to the scene uh, with a defibrillator uh, when he arrived at the post office and saw um, this lady, Miss Knight, uh, performing CPR. He took over the CPR and uh, also tried to save Patter Doyle. He noted as well that he was grey coloured um, and, and, you know, looked dead, basically. Um, and uh, he, he continued to perform CPR until uh, professional... Um, Medical personnel arrived and did the same thing. Um, the, the, the defibrillator actually, he didn't use it in the end because it, it advised that there was no pulse and so not, not to use an electrical charge uh, just to perform manual CPR, um, again, because he was dead. Um, but look, he was not officially declared dead until nearly 12 o'clock that day. And uh, what I thought was harrowing was it appeared that some of the CCTV footage um, maybe for his dignity, I suppose, to be fair, uh, his, uh, Mr. Doyle's face was blurred. But they then subsequently showed uh, the court a photograph of Mr. Doyle's body uh, on the ground. Um, 
I, there was no real warning, to be honest with you. It's an image that I probably wouldn't be able to get out of my head now. It, uh, to me, to me, uh, you've probably seen a few dead bodies. To me, he looked long dead. Um, I mean, just very, very bad. Uh, totally white, grey in colour. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and in fairness, the judge, uh, um, Judge Eugene O'Kelly, said no one deserves to die like that. I think that sums it up well. Very bad, bad death for him, unfortunately. You're right about not getting any warnings. I remember a very high profile case. I won't say who, but a woman was murdered and a photograph became visible to some of us. And you could see it. And it was very upsetting. It was of her her body from her neck up, essentially. And look, I know people have to do their jobs and everything, but you're right, it is. It's, It's almost like a gut punch when you see something like that. What was the reaction? What, was the courtroom packed and what was the reaction of people in the court to the, the pictures in the video? Well, the, the, the family of Mr. Doyle were present in court, but they were warned in advance uh, about the footage and they actually left the courtroom. So they didn't see any of that. Um, they didn't want to see any of that. Uh, so really all that's left was left in the courtroom, I suppose, were the, the guards um, and uh, journalists in the case. So, I mean, from a journalist's point of view, it was shocking. Uh, but there was no gasps or anything like that. I'd say it would have been very distressing for the family to see, in fairness. They, they, did, they did not want to see it. Um, so I, I, I just want to point out, because this was shocking to me, uh, we, you, you hear in a sentencing hearing the previous convictions uh, of the accused. And um, look, to me, Declan Hockney, obviously while he committed a crime and he has problems, to me, he seemed, I'm going to use the word innocent. I don't mean he's innocent. He's, he's guilty of a crime. But he seemed very innocent-natured, if that makes any sense, and, and naive. And uh, uh, there's elements of his story that I almost believed, that like he might have just been so, like Mr. Coakley admitted he was out of his mind, just wasn't in the right frame of mind. That, that it, Was he that delusional that he just didn't realise how poorly or even that his uncle was dead? Even still, horrific thing to commit. But he just, he seemed like somebody who probably could have been a better person if different things had happened in his life that he wouldn't have gone down that road because he comes to my eye from a completely decent family. He has an aunt there that seems like a lovely lady uh, and family that, that are not in any kind of criminal world at all. Um, so it shocked me to learn that he had 55 previous convictions um, and probably the most shocking one, which is that uh, he has a previous conviction for deception uh, which he committed at Hosey's post office while <laughs> he went in to collect uh, his uncle's social welfare payment, uh, to steal his uncle's social welfare payment of 300-odd euro while he was in hospital. While he presented to me that, oh, like, I would never do this, uh, well, turned out he hit out. He had actually already done it. And the other... 54 others apart from that deception well, was it mostly theft offences yeah there, there there were there were uh, public order offences uh, misuse of drugs offences theft and fraud offences yes a few of them 15 of them um, an act of burglary robbery two forgery charges and a drink driving offence and he committed he committed an, a theft offence while on bail uh, sorry, he committed a theft offence like a week prior to this incident we're talking about and was on bail for that when he brought his uncle into the post office. It would be a fair assumption that most of the offences he committed were to feed his habit. Yeah, I I, I think that, that bore out. Like I, I, that, I mean, we heard that he had a 15, 16 year heroin addiction. 
uh, problems with alcohol, as did Gareth Coakley. Um, and uh, in particular, the evidence about Gareth Coakley is that he would have taken any drug that he could get his hands on. Uh, in, to, to be fair, that evidence came from his own barrister that he had serious addiction problems. It's clear that they would have done anything to get that money at that point. I will say this. Uh, it seems like jail has been good to Declan Hockney. Uh, he looks like a completely different man. Uh, he very fit and healthy looking um, uh, since he's been in prison. I was wondering why he was in prison because he, he Gareth Coakley was not in prison during any of this, but but we've now learned why that that uh, Mr. Hockney was actually serving out a couple of months sentence for these theft offences that I'm talking about. Um, but uh, he was then on remand for this and he must have obviously decided uh, that he would just continue to serve out that time until he went on trial. Did he know that he was going to get jail time and that he might as well just serve some of it now? Because... Uh, as we'll now speak about, they were both sentenced on Friday uh, and uh, Mr. Hockney got a two and a half year sentence uh, in relation to this. But as I said, he's been in prison since uh, since this started, since January of last year. So he's been in prison for a year, a two and a half year sentence uh, with the final six months suspended. So take six months off that. So two years, he served a year. Uh, I think he'll be out in the next six months. Yeah, I mean, I'm just trying to do the maths very quickly. So, uh, it's, so it's two years. So you you, you lose twenty five percent. So you're right. So eighteen months, and he's been in custody since January. A year? Uh, no, was it not January, February twenty twenty two when he was put into custody? The the end of January. Ah, yeah. So he'll be getting out any day, really. Yeah. Because because that's eighteen months, practically eighteen months. Yeah, God, he might be out already. Yeah. So no, he. He so his so his sentence was effectively two years, and Coakley got eighteen months. Did the judge give any explanation as to why the different sentences? He, yeah, I felt that Declan Hockney were, were there were more aggravating factors in relation to him. It was his uncle, um, you know, so the betrayal of, of of that fact, and then just the fact that he was on bail and and that he had convictions, and in particular a previous conviction for a very similar offence, a deception offence against his uncle. That's why he got a lengthier sentence. In a way, uh, Garrett Coakley was an accomplice in this uh, whole affair. I mean, you heard you heard um, Mr. Hockney himself say that he brought his uncle out from under the bed and then with the assistance of Garrett Coakley brought him down. Um, and he was the first person into the post office trying to claim the money initially. So uh, Garrett Coakley was very much uh, getting involved in this uh, as a partner in it, if you, if you will. Now, he has 49 previous convictions. 25 it, it very he actually has serious convictions he got 25 under the public order act eight misuse of drugs obstruction charges burglary section 3 and section 2 assaults so you know he's a violent criminal so so section 2 is what you would call simple assault so if i shoved you that could be section 2 but section 3 is more yeah and that's assault causing harm so you have to have you know cause damage for that so that is a serious charge so he, he got 18 months. He hasn't served any time bar, like a couple of days in prison there uh, on remand. So he'll be longer in prison now than Declan Hockney will be. What was the reaction of both men when they were sentenced? There was no reaction. And, and, and also something I noticed because uh, the CCTV was long and very horrific. I looked at them a couple of times to see that they ever look up at the footage. They never once looked at the footage. Uh, very, very deliberately, uh, Declan Hockney kept his eyes fixed on the wall never looked at the footage so couldn't bring himself to watch uh what the evidence very clearly and openly shows 
um, as much as he tried to deny. Uh, I mean, you can see the state of his uncle and the the way that he was behaving towards staff. He just couldn't bring himself to look at it. So they 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 when they were sentenced, they didn't really react. I think they kind of accepted um, that they were getting jail time. That was obvious, you know. So, but look, Declan Hockney. He has a chance now to turn his life around. Clearly, jail has been good to him. He's done a bricklaying course. The court heard uh, he's been on a, a um, on a, on a wing, a drug-free landing, as they called it, in Wheatfield Prison, and has been doing well. And was subject to a random drug te- test uh, the previous week, and, and was all clear. So hopefully, when he gets out, uh, the, the court heard he wants to turn his life around, and for the first time in his life, he wants to actually gain employment uh, with this course that he's now done. Um, so look, he's got family there that were very supportive of him. His aunt, Nolene, uh, was there, gave a harrowing victim impact statement and stated that she was there to support Declan Hockney. The family, she said, felt hurt uh, that, um, as they put it, Declan didn't raise the alarm sooner. Um, now, I will say that Nolene uh, was very critical of the media and the way that this was covered and found it very upsetting that the story went international. As she said herself, it went as far as Sydney and Chicago. And and she felt that her brother, Patter Doyle, uh, became the butt of the joke, as she said, for some comedians. Uh, and they were also very upset by the fact that, if you recall, on St. Patrick's Day that year, there were a lot of floats around the country where people uh, mocked and carried out um, reenacted the crime so to speak and then all obviously that it was also compared to the movie weekend at bernie's you know um so look that's a fair point it it was a very very fair point and and i imagine look that's the point in the end of the day a human being is is on the other side of this and a family were affected by this and my sympathies do go to them i i understand on the other scale of things uh, side of things obviously being in the media industry how a story like this as sensational as it is, it does take on a life of its own. And, you know, the, the public reaction to it was one of, of like, there was some humor found in it because it was such an extraordinary, bizarre event. But look, the facts are as the facts are. Um, and, and I saw it on the CCTV footage myself. I mean, how those men brought him into the post office like that, I, uh, I, I just no excusing it. And, and even what you were saying, the thing that jumped out at me was that he was under the bed with a sheet over him. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's you'd have to be extremely charitable to think that Hockney could have made a, an honest mistake there. Yeah, and I mean, unless you know, he just wasn't in the right mind frame, shall we say, uh, which is entirely possible given his addiction problems and that. But look, he has a chance now to turn his life around. I will say that when I met him, I, I, I found him to be very personable, and, and as I said, having seen his aunt there and the family that are there to support him. He has a very clear opportunity to turn his life around. I really hope he does. So, yeah, that was a fascinating one to talk about. And we, we felt it merited a, a podcast. So it was very interesting. And uh, yeah, I certainly learned a lot from it. And, you know, you're right. It really is the most important person to think about here is Patter Doyle and his memory. And he did. He didn't deserve what happened to him in death. No. Absolutely not. Um, yeah, and, and I suppose there's some justice was served there on, on Friday. Um, and as I said, it, the, the family, in spite of what's happened to their loved one, they want to support Declan Hockney, uh, which, which is great to see. So maybe there'll be a, a happy ending of sorts in this, in, in that he might uh, turn his life around. And just the last point I'll make on this, hopefully he will, but I do think this is going to be so, a major millstone around his neck 
he's going to find it hard in Carlo to get beyond this. Maybe he might have to move away or something. You know what I mean? It's He'll always be known for this. That was pointed out in court, you know, that like, I mean, this will follow him around for the rest of his life, you know. I mean, in a way that is an effective punishment, you know, he'll always be associated with it. I mean, this story was huge. I've never seen a story. Like, I mean, it, it did go international. Um, uh, so there was just huge interest in it because it's so bizarre. It was a bizarre year, 2022. I think it was just one of many bizarre stories. Uh, one after the other. All right. So we leave it there. Yes, thanks very much for listening. We'll be back with the Week in Crime uh, on Thursday and we might also speak about uh, in more detail just about crime in Dublin and I know a lot of people have serious concerns about uh, myself included. Is, is, is Dublin becoming more and more dangerous? So we'll be having a great discussion on that hopefully on Thursday. Okay, thanks very much everybody. Thank you. <laughs>